hey, welcome back to the House of Trauma podcast. I am your favorite podcast host, Kiana Breanne. Now let's get into it. So for today's episode, I want to talk about generational curses. And I feel like it's been a topic of conversation for a while now, like a hot topic. But I haven't seen a lot of people really dive deep into it. So I want to give my perspective on it and how I or why I feel like it is a big issue um, in the black community and what it is we can do to change this. Um, to have an overall better community moving forward and for um, generations to come. So what is a generational curse? Just to put things um, into perspective, it's a pattern or behavior that has been passed down from one generation to the next. Biblically, it is believed to be passed down from one generation to another due to uh, the previous generation's rebellion against God. And we see that a lot in um, the Old Testament, especially uh, the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, um, Deuteronomy. Um, But generational curses are passed down through actions of our parents and grandparents and through our own experiences. Um, They're also passed down through story. (laughs) We can all remember the stories we were told growing up and the explanations that were given. And a lot of times we can take those stories or we do take those stories and that's how we proceed to live our life because if you know adults in our life are telling us a certain thing then we take it as truth in most cases and um generational curses can also happen um based on the way people were treated uh growing up so some will remember the way they were treated and choose to go forward living life like that and so on which brings me to the topic of the age-old conversation of nature versus nurture, which I studied a lot um, in college. I was a psychology major for a while in college, and I just love learning how the mind works and um, how people interact with each other through um, emotional responses and things like that. But basically, nature versus nurture is nature being um, the biology of you, um, what you have gathered genetically through um, generations before you and nurture being like your environment, your home environment, and also things you have learned in your outside environment with school and work and how you interact with other people. And basically um, the argument is which one plays a bigger role. And I actually did a, a report on it that I feel as though nature versus nurture is equal. Your biology mixed with your environment really creates who you are as a person and I don't think one or the other has uh the greater impact and as we go throughout this episode you'll get a better understanding of how nature and nurture plays a huge role in what we now consider as generational curses so I mentioned earlier that biblically um Generational curses are believed to be passed down from one generation to another due to rebellion against God. So um, in the book of Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible, chapter 20, verse 5 says, You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for 
the father's sin to the third and fourth generation for those who hate me, but showing faithful love to thousand generations, to a thousand generations for those who love me and keep my command. We also see in the book of Exodus chapter 34 verses 6 through 7. Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And again, we repeat this same notion in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verse 18, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verse 9. And so a lot of people may look at these uh, verses of scripture and think, well, wow, why am I being punished for my father's sin? And as, as we dive deeper, I swear it's coming, as we dive deeper into generational curses and how everything plays out, then you'll understand why we essentially all pay for the sins of our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents and our great great grandparents and how um, our failure to repent for these sins and to change our ways as a whole results in consequences that are critical uh for not just our family, but also our community. So I want to y'all to keep these verses in mind because I'm going to come back to them. What I want to do uh, next is I want to just give examples of generational curses that I feel have plagued my family for generations. Um, one of the one that really, ugh, this grinds my gears, um, men in prison. Um, I don't know about anybody else's family, but my family has a nasty reputation for men going to prison. I mean, my dad, my brothers, uncles, cousins, it's like a never ending cycle and it's disappointing. The ratio to men in prison in my family and in my life, um, who have gone to prison or jail is greatly imbalanced. And that means I probably know more men in close proximity to me that have been to jail or have been to prison than men who have not. And majority of these men just happen to be blood relatives. Um, my oldest brother, uh, my only big brother, but my oldest brother uh, has probably spent more years behind bars than he has free. And he's only 31 years old let that sit in and 31 years of your life you spend more years more time more valuable time of your life behind bars than you have spent as a free man and I won't go into detail on why this is but this is a fact my youngest brother my baby brother uh he went to prison at just 17 years old I think he was even 16 in, in jail and then ended up turning 17 and then he was shipped off to prison. At such a young age, he, he didn't get a chance to live life. He didn't get a chance to graduate high school, to go to prom, to do things that teenagers his age should have been able to do because he was in prison. And it still breaks my heart to this day to even think about. Um, it was a tragedy. 
that uh, really hit my family hard when it happened. And during a time where we were already grieving the loss of my grandmother, um, my granny, she was an amazing woman. We were grieving that along with another family tragedy. And then this just added the icing on the cake. So it was very traumatic for us. I can imagine the trauma um, of a young man, a boy, to have gone to prison at such a young age. Um, and these are both my mother's sons. My youngest brother and my oldest brother are both my mother's sons. So her only two sons. And that's very hard for her to deal with um my dad went to prison for some years and that was very hard on the family as a whole as well another traumatic experience um in addition to my dad and uh, my brothers my two other brothers um have been to jail before but no like long-term prison time or anything like that but it's still gives perspective on men in my life who have been to jail or prison and I mean I can name countless uncles and cousins who have um gone to prison um my mom's brother I remember him being in prison when I was just in middle school and then his only son no he has two sons his oldest son then going to prison and again at a young age he's the same age as my baby brother and it's devastating to think that, you know, there are things in our family and in our community that somehow send these men to prison. And I feel like obviously we're, we all have to pay the consequences of our actions, but I think it's important to dive deep into why these actions are consistently being displayed within the same family, within the same generation after generation that continuously leads these men of the same bloodline back to prison. Another uh, generational curse for my family would be um, toxic relationships. <laughs> baby um I feel like abusive men have been running rampant in my family for a long time and not like when I say my family I don't mean like my immediate family like my parents my siblings my extended family as well um my aunts cousins and even uh some sisters have been abused mentally and physically by men in their life in some cases, uh, they didn't stick around with these men after the abuse, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it happened. And it was a traumatizing experience for that woman. And it was something that should have never happened. And I can't ignore the overwhelming number of women who have been a part of toxic relationships within my uh, bloodline. I remember growing up and hearing stories of women in my family getting beat on, getting their teeth knocked out, left for dead, like ugh, just so many terrifying stories I heard as a young girl of um, women outside of my media family who were experiencing these things. Um, it, yeah, it was a devastating reality. Uh, 
in my younger years, my mom used to always say uh, that she was just not going for that shit at all. Like, at all. <laughs> but I remember um, when I was in elementary school, my mom got a call one day that her sister's throat was slit. And they had to rush her to the hospital. The entire family was like mortified. Um, we had no idea if she was going to live or die. She survived uh, by the grace of God and God alone. She still has the scars on her throat to this day. Um, she had an abusive boyfriend um, wh whom which she lived with, um, who also sold drugs. <laughs> That's a whole nother curse within itself and one day um when he wasn't home I guess a guy came to buy drugs but had no intent on paying her um he took the drugs slit her throat and left her for dead and just like the thought of that reality so Granted, it wasn't the guy she was in a relationship with, but the relationship was still toxic and she was still in a situation where her life was endangered and almost taken. And after all of this happened, she didn't leave this guy. That wasn't an end all be all. And that wasn't the end of the toxic toxicity and the abuse within her relationship. I know women in my family who are still in abusive and toxic relationships to this day. With the same men who have been beating on them for years, hell, decades at this point, and most of these women are my mother's age, and their daughters and even granddaughters have witnessed this type of unstable dynamic, so what are they left to think when it comes to relationships of their own? And with the cousins and aunts of my generation who grew up witnessing this abuse, some of us took the other route. We absolutely won't stand for it, but that wasn't everybody's reality. Um, I know cousins who have been abused, my age and younger than me, who have been abused and will stick around, right? Um, I also know women who have not made the conscious decision to stick around. So as I mentioned before, not everybody sticks around, but have still ignored the red flags and been put in situations where they have been abused mentally, physically, emotionally, you know, whatever, um, by men. And it was unexpected, but still tragic. Um, I spoke about the toxic relationships that I was in for three years that almost ended in marriage that I had to walk away from because I had to choose myself first so again it's like a, a constant cycle of toxic relationships cursing my family for generations and I think that bad money habits um, has cursed my family to stay living either lower class or below the poverty line. I mean, I don't know personally too many people in my family who aren't living paycheck to paycheck. And again, I want to emphasize when I say my family, I'm talking about the broad spectrum of the family. I don't know 
too many people who are not living paycheck to paycheck. If I, I, I don't even know that I can think of one off the top of my head. Right. Um, and I think that this isn't just a my family thing. Like this is a black community type of thing where spending money as soon as we get it instead of saving and investing. But these aren't things that we were taught growing up. These aren't things that our parents knew or grandparents knew or great parents knew. And so when we get money, even large sums of money, whether it's tax season, whether it's just a paycheck, a BBP loan, like whatever it is that you're getting as a form of income, people don't typically save and invest this money. It's like, I'm going to spend it on, you know, I'm going to pay my bills, right? Or maybe I'm going to buy some new shoes or a new car or I'm going to do this and buy things that are unnecessary that only bring short term, um, short term satisfaction versus long term satisfaction. And so again and again, we're back to square one. Like I know people who spend a check before they get their check. Like you don't promise this person money, this person money. You already said you're going to buy this. This bill is due. That bill is due. And then you get paid on Friday. And by Sunday morning, that whole check is gone. And then you have to wait another two weeks to get that check again. And by Sunday, the whole check is gone and so on and so forth. It's like a never ending cycle. And I myself have bad spending habits. Like honestly and truly, I tell people all the time, I have bad spending habits. I have a shopping addiction and that's not to be funny. My retail therapy is like a thing for me, for sure. Like, I remember when my job was, uh, I was a store manager at Forever 21, and they closed all those stores down at, um, was it 2019? Yeah, at the end of 2019, and my store was on the list, and I knew I only had two months left before the store was closed down completely, and I was potentially about to be in the unemployment line, and I bought a car. And they're like, why the fuck did you buy a car? And I was like, I don't know. I wanted this shiny new thing to distract me from the fact that I was potentially not going to have a job. Now, by the grace of God, I got transferred to another store and was given a raise. So I was able to hang on to that car. But that wasn't a good money move. Even if my job wasn't closing, I had a car. What did I buy that car for? You get what I'm saying? It's just not making smart financial decisions that keep us living Um in lower class or lower middle class or even middle class like it's like generation after generation we're not getting ahead we're just staying on the same level like they say your savings account should equal six months of your expenses whose saving account equals six months of their expenses because not mine even when I had a decent amount of savings in my savings account when I moved from Milwaukee to Dallas I think that savings account was depleted within two months so the next four months, I had to start making money again. And I feel like we do not prepare ourselves. We do not prepare our children. We do not prepare the generations to withstand financial hardship. And that's why we will continue to have bad money habits, have bad spending habits, continue to live in poverty until we can get that under control. Moving forward on to another um, generational curse that I can speak on that has plagued my family specifically. Um, Alcohol abuse 
and drug abuse is, again, family-wide. This is just a thing. And it's, um, again, when I was young, I, I heard these stories. My mom would always tell us these stories. But you, when you're a kid, you don't always see everything or you don't always notice everything or you don't always understand to the depth in which this particular problem is truly affecting um, the family or a person in particular. But alcoholism has got to be like top tier on the list of generational curses. I remember I have an aunt, God rest her soul. I love her to death. Um, so I won't mention her name and I don't want this to be like a slander thing towards her because again, I, I truly love this aunt. Um, but when we were kids, it was always a joke. Like she smelled like beer. Like every time we come around, be like, oh, I smell beer. I know she downstairs. Like, ha ha ha. It was so funny. I remember one time I was riding a bus and um, somebody called my name and I turned around and it was my aunt and I, I went and gave her a hug and I smelled the beer. And, you know, it was just like a joke when we were kids, but I didn't realize how deep and how serious of an issue that this was for her. And it's like we joked about it when we was kids. But once I got older, I was like, okay, this is actually not funny. You always smell like beer. 9 a.m., noon, 4 p.m., 6 p.m. Like, it doesn't matter. And I joke about, oh, it's 5 o'clock somewhere when I'm trying to drink and turn up. But seriously, waking up and wanting to drink is a problem. And I know that when people are suffering from alcohol abuse and drug abuse, it's because of some type of trauma that they experienced before or some type of problem that they're running away from, but that doesn't make it okay. And then if you're witnessing all these, you know, your great grandparents, your grandparents, your parents, or, you know, your aunts, your uncles, it's just like all these people around who are abusing drugs and who are abusing alcohol. And then this is what people learn to use as coping mechanisms. I try so hard to not have vices for when things go wrong. I don't want to be like, oh, I had a bad day. I, I, I need a shot. Oh, I had a bad day. I need a blunt. I had to stop smoking weed because at one point that was, you know, my coping mechanism. But all it was truly doing was creating bad habits for me. And then what, when I have children, they're going to recognize this as a bad habit? No. Not good. <sighs> My great grandmother, who I never got to meet, but her stories about, um, battled addiction. My grandmother battled addiction. My mother also did, and they all suffered a great deal. Um, and these habits didn't just pick up because they were lazy or irresponsible or had nothing else better to do but to spend their money on an addiction. It was due to life circumstances. Like I said before, they suffered a great deal. They seen things that potentially people should never see in their life, in their childhood, in their adult life. And these are the habits that were picked up because as, as you heard before, my great-grandmother, my grandmother, my mother. These are women who are taking care of them that are using these vices as a means to cope with trauma. 
and it's how they learn it. And it's just trickling down the bloodline. And of course, these weren't just the only people in the family. Again, aunts, uncles, cousins. It was just a thing for my family. And I know for a fact that me and my siblings, we, especially my sisters, we try to avoid this reality. Like we don't want to follow in these footsteps of alcohol abuse and drug abuse as a way of dealing with life circumstances and life traumas. But I can honestly say that it's hard. It is hard. When something is plaguing your family and you're trying to be the one that avoids this plague. And so for me, I do feel like the prison pipeline, the toxic relationships, the bad money habits, and the alcohol and drug abuse um, are major generational curses that plague my family, but they're not the only ones that exist. Um, they're not the only ones that exist, not only within my family, but just in general, within the black community and even outside of the black community. Um, some other generational curses that come to mind um, that I feel like are very prevalent um, living the same life your parents did. So what I mean by that is like my dad used to always say, I want y'all to have more than what I had when I was growing up. Right. So he tried to show us things, teach us things, take us places that he couldn't do when he was a kid. And then it's just like, if we do all the same things our parents did and they didn't live a perfect life. And I know a perfect life doesn't exist, but how do I put this? For example, if your parent lived in poverty and suffered from drug abuse and barely was able to make ends meet ever, that's not the life that you want to live. So it's important to realize, you know, what they did wrong in a way on which you can do better so that you don't live that same life and your kids don't live that same life. Like, if that makes sense. I feel like that's the quickest way I can explain that. Um, Second, working too hard. We all know the hustle culture, work, 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 sleep when you did. I'm notorious for saying um, sleep is for the week. And I'm joking, but it really has a bad connotation. And we think that, you know, if we work all these long hours and we work, 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 that somehow eventually we won't have to work hard anymore. And I just don't believe in that. And we tire ourselves out and we don't exhibit enough self-care like we don't prioritize our mental health we don't prioritize rest in our bodies and then we're burnt out and I think that that is what leads to other bad habits such as alcoholism and drug abuse because we insist on working too hard like for example when I was still working at Forever 21 I remember like only being home to sleep like that was it I would barely have time to eat, shit, barely have time to sleep because I was just working, working, working because I wanted to get as much money as possible. And then when the pandemic hit, I had nothing to show for it. Again, I had a small savings, but it still wasn't enough. And now I tell my sisters all the time and, you know, my friends as well, like if you need that time, I'll take that time off. That job won't have to be okay. Fuck an occurrence, fuck an infraction or whatever it is that they use to monitor your attendance. If you need that time off, take that mental health day. 
when I worked in Nordstrom, I used to call out in a motherfucking heartbeat to take a mental health day. Because what? Y'all want me to come in here working for what? Because if something happened to me, if I die tragically at work or outside of work, the best y'all would do is give my family your condolences. If that even. Y'all had me replaced within the week. So why would I be working hard and bending over backwards for a job that I'm just an employee number? Um, next, not considering children's feelings. This is probably like a pet peeve of mine. Okay. It irks my nerves when people don't consider the feelings of children. It's just like, whoa, I'm the adult and you're not. I'm right and you're wrong. I'm big and you're small. Like, that's so annoying to me. Like, kids are like little people. Okay. And when I stopped majoring in psychology in college, I um, actually went on a criminal justice, but that wasn't working out for me. So I did early childhood education and um, we learned a lot about um, child behavior in my child behavior class. And it gave me a greater perspective. Like kids are just like little people, like they're little adults. They want to make their own decisions. They want to feel heard. And when we don't, consider their feelings and when we don't let them be heard you end up producing a bunch of teenagers that are going to turn into adults that um suffer from a lot of emotional damage um because they didn't feel heard as a kid or they didn't feel like they were treated well as a kid so now we have narcissists out here in the world we have monsters like you sending your damaged kids um out in the world with my kids and now they have to interact with each other or sending a damaged person out with another damaged person and then that's how you create these toxic relationships and these toxic cycles and they can adapt into alcoholism and drug abuse and uh men in prison and like dude are y'all following where I'm going with this? A lot of trauma starts when you're young. And that's why I think that it's important to prioritize the mental health of our children above all else. Um, another thing, not teaching your children life skills. Like, don't get me wrong. I tell people all the time I was raised on survival. Like, my mom absolutely taught us how to survive in this world. But when I say life skills, things like, I know absolutely nothing about credit. But we know that that's an important factor in today's society, right? So we should be teaching our children about credit and financial literacy and things like that. It's always like, go to school, get good grades, and go to college. But that's not realistic for everybody, College is not for everybody. And some people don't go to college because they can't afford it, even with all the grants and all the loans. Maybe it's just not ideal for me or maybe I just don't want to do it. So I think it's important to teach our children life skills that are going to be necessary for when we go out into the real world. Like once I'm no longer in your home, what's going to be of grave importance to me? And it's not washing the fucking dishes. Okay. Yeah, my mama taught me how to make a meal out of nothing. And it has helped me in my adult life, but it didn't truly prepare me for the world that I'm in now. Because with the grace of God, I don't ever miss a meal. So it was a priority back then, 
but it's not necessarily a priority right now. So what are the basic life skills that are going to be necessary, universally necessary for our children when they go out into the real world? And that's what we should be teaching them. Um, yelling and speaking negative, negatively to children. Now that just damn right pisses me off. It is so critical that we speak love and light into our children, okay? And our grandchildren and our nieces and our nephews. The world is already harsh enough. I say it all the time. Kids are fucking mean. We were all kids once. Kids are mean. And so why would we add on to the meanness of the world? It is so important not to speak negatively or down talk or disrespect your children because they are going to go out into the world and believe what you said to be true. And when somebody else says it, they're going to really believe it to be true. And then instead of creating mentally strong and independent Children were creating people who lack self-confidence, who lack self-worth, and who lack self-esteem. And then you know what's going to happen? They're going to end up in toxic cycles. Very similar to the ones I mentioned before. And in relation to yelling and speaking negatively to children, whooping and beating kids, like, why? That was always so such a weird form of punishment to me. I believe in positive reinforcement. But again, maybe that comes from my years of studying psychology. Um, but beating and whooping your kids. So look at it like this, parents. You are your children's first idea and form of love and protection. So if you're whooping them whenever you feel like they quote unquote did something wrong, then you're showing them that it's okay to be punished for something that some something that you did that somebody else didn't agree with. And that that punishment should result in changed behavior. So that when your little girls and boys go out into the world and they do something that their significant other doesn't agree with and they punish them physically. Their response could be, okay, well, I deserved it because I shouldn't have done something to make them upset. Like, do, 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 do we get how these things go hand in hand? And no, it don't always end in that everybody doesn't step into a toxic, abusive, physically abusive relationship. But that's how I look at it from that perspective. When you hit your children, you show them that they should be physically punished when somebody doesn't agree with what it is that they did. Not Okay. And the last generational curse I want to speak about, but mind you, there are many more, but this, in the interest of time, this is the last one I'm going to speak about, um, having children out of wedlock or having multiple baby mothers or baby fathers. So a lot of people say, you know, marriage isn't the goal for them. That's fine. Whatever your goal is, that's fine. But I do believe that marriage was a union ordained by God himself and that um, it's important to have a family connection and dynamic and instead of having multiple broken homes, like, okay, so for 
example, uh, let's just talk about Nick Cannon, right? That's, that's the most obvious choice right now. So he's having all these children by all these different women. And it appears that the women are okay with it. And he's saying he can afford them the financial aspect of it. But I know from a fact, like when I live with my dad and my stepmom, that was a two parent household. And the dynamic was different than when I lived with my mom and it was a single parent household. Like it's, it's, listen, it's just different. And people who didn't grow up with both parents, because I know people who didn't grow up with their mom and only live with their dad. I know people who didn't grow up with their dad and only live with their mom. And they were either the other parent was either not in their life at all or like half in, half out of their life for whatever reason. Right. And that has an emotional effect on kids and it's not okay so it's not just a financial aspect okay I pay my child support or I do this and I do that like no I need you to be there for me for emotional support I want to see you every day I want you at my games and my plays at my shows like I want to spend time with you have conversation with you like really build a bond and to father multiple children by multiple different women and not to be able to be physically present for all these children at the same time is not okay or to have multiple different children by multiple different men and then these men be half in or and half out of these kids like that's also not okay so I'm not placing the blame on you know either side male or female it's just the whole dynamic of it and for me I made a vow when I was only 16 years old to not have children until I was married and now at 28 years old I have held on to that promise to myself This wasn't something somebody told me I had to do. This wasn't a promise I was making to anyone. I didn't even make this promise to God. This is a promise I made to myself. Because again, I've witnessed what it looks like to have two parents in a household who are married. And I witnessed what it looks like to have a single parent household. And as commendable as it is for single mothers everywhere, make no mistake. Because most of y'all be doing a damn thing. As commendable as it is, that's not something I want for my life and as I mentioned before we don't need to live the same exact lives our parents did and both my parents grew up in a single parent household and I seen how it affected them and then I seen how it affected my siblings and that's not something I want to affect my children and the whole point of knowing and acknowledging generational curses is doing better and being better than them instead of consistently allowing them to continue throughout the bloodline So now that I've gone through this extensive list of examples of generational curses and we have a better idea of what it is and what it truly looks like, um, how can we break them, right? How can we break the generational curses? Um, And before I answer that, I'm going to address why they're so hard to break. Because the steps on how to break them may seem slightly obvious, but this is no easy task. Because if it was an easy task, this wasn't even wouldn't even be a topic of conversation. So um, I think the reason they're so hard to break is because it's a painful process. Whoever steps up to the plate and decides this stops here and this stops with me, it's going to be a painful process. Like nothing about it is going to be easy. Number one, it's not going to be easy because it's hard to break a habit of any kind, right? And if this has gone on for generations and generations and generations, a lot of people are not going to be willing to stand up, put their hand up and be at the forefront of the change because any type of change is hard. I can attest to change being hard, especially when people are, you know, set in their ways. And 
you'll potentially have to endure the hate from those in your family that see you defeat the cycles they drowned in and it can cause problems and tension. And we must, must, must understand the fight cannot be won by emotions or intellect because it's a spiritual battle that has conquered generation after generation in your family. And it's important to not remove yourself and turn away from your family because once you start this healing journey, once you start to break generational curses, you'll recognize the hurt and the patterns of behavior that is plaguing your family that other people are displaying, especially once you're no longer involved or entertaining these negative patterns and behavior. And it's easy to love someone or something that makes you feel whole, but it's not so easy to love someone or something that makes you feel empty. So again, when you recognize the hurt and the patterns of behavior, don't remove yourself and turn away. Draw closer to God. Zechariah 4 and 6. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And honestly and truly, drawing closer to God is the only answer to conquering these generational curses. So how do we break them? What are the steps, right? Um, I think becoming self-aware of destructive patterns, because once you're more self-aware and you can actually see and acknowledge these destructive patterns and behaviors, then you you know what it is you're fighting against, right? You know how to fix them, but you have to be aware of what it is. Um, educate yourself about your family history. History repeats itself. So educate yourself. What what are these things? Like I've been able to acknowledge the top curses that I feel like have plagued my family generation after generation and generation. So now I know exactly what not to do. And um, take accountability and own your part, like your role in it all. It's hard, but we do have to take accountability because if you don't acknowledge the role that you play, you're turning a, pl- a blind eye and you have as doing it and it will be unsuccessful. This is what I know. It will be unsuccessful if you cannot acknowledge the role that you play in the generational curses. I can say I... Um, even like the bad money habits, for example, I played a hell of a role in spending money and incurring debt, which has left me in not such an amazing financial situation, right? Anyways, um, don't be afraid to reach out for help in whatever way you feel you need help. A lot of times, people will not ask for help on one of those people. Like, realize your allies, realize your resources. And um, within your family and outside. Um, Ensure the pattern stops with you. Once you've recognized the pattern, educated yourself about it, took responsibility, ask for help to ensure that the pattern stops with you. Ask for help if you need help, right? But ensure that the pattern stops with you. No longer will I spend money recklessly. No longer will I ignore the red flags and intentionally or unintentionally step into a toxic relationship that I will later have to heal from, right? No longer will I make bad decisions to where I end up in prison. No longer will I speak to my children crazy. No longer um, 
will I use alcohol or drugs as a coping mechanism? Like whatever the situation is, whatever the curse is, stop it with you. Because if you stop it with you, the chances of your children picking it up or your grandchildren are slim. Not impossible, but slim. And accept that generational cycles are our responsibility to break. It is. It's everybody's responsibility. But who's going to actually take the responsibility? I choose to take responsibility in breaking these generational curses. But it's really not just on me. It's on all of us. But if everybody's not willing to do it, then I'll make the conscious decision to do it my motherfucking self. Okay. (laughs) And remember, the cure for generational curses has always been repentance. God's grace lasts a thousand times longer than his wrath. In 2021... I, uh, it was the day before I completed my final hours in school for aesthetics. So we all know I moved to Dallas in 2020. I went to school to be an esthetician. So the day before I completed my final hours in my aesthetics course, um, 750 hours, um, my instructor prayed over me and, um, two others, uh, to my friends in the class because we were the three that were completing our hours for that next day. Um, and she was very specific with what God told her for each of us and um she was always a woman of God like a true woman of God and it was her ministry um to pray and um almost prophesize certain things right and so um I remember she grabbed my hand as she prayed she prayed for each of us uh, she prayed for one girl then she prayed for me and then she prayed for my friends so she grabbed my hands She's just saying a prayer, you know, everything. And um, she says, God told me that you're going to be the one to take your family out of poverty. And she asked God to bless my hands and everything I do and touch with my hands. It was it was very emotional. Um, I actually burst into tears right there in the spa. Um. Because her words and just even saying that I was going to be the one to take my family out of poverty. And I was like, but you don't know anything about my family. And um, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about what she told me that day in the spa. And it weighs heavy on me. I feel responsible for doing this, for doing that. And every year that I'm not a millionaire, I feel as though I have failed my family in some way. And granted, majority of my family have no idea that this conversation ever took place. So there is no one holding me accountable for it but me. I try to take it easy and be gentle with myself because at the end of it all... God spoke a word over my life and so it's already done and I'm working on not focusing so much on when and how it's going to happen and just accepting that it's already done but when I say I feel that it is my responsibility and I'm going to take responsibility 
for breaking these generational curses. And one of the main curses that has plagued my family and my bloodline is poverty. And don't get me wrong. We haven't always lived terribly and we don't live terrible now. Um, I'm truly grateful for the blessings God has given me and my family. But I know that we could be doing better. And the words, the prayer my instructor prayed over me and the words she spoke to me has forever changed my life. And y'all, I swear, I'm just like, how did she, like, I've never mentioned anything good or bad about my family to this woman. And so I know that it was only God speaking through her. Generational curses are patterns or behavior that have been passed from one generation to the next. And I have made it my goal and my responsibility to ask God for repentance on behalf of my entire bloodline. But not just ask for repentance. To take the tangible and necessary steps to stop every single curse from moving on to the next generation. My name is Kiana Breen, and this is the House of Trauma podcast. I'll see you next week.